it's another episode of Dark Green Anarchy. I'm your host, High Priest Wombat. How y'all doing? I uh, just figured I'd uh, do an early morning episode. I'm right now drinking my coffee and already go out and get my chickens up. It's still dark outside, it's six in the morning here. I uh, get my chickens up uh, about a quarter till seven. Um, so I was thinking about, uh, praxis, um, for those that don't know what the word means, it's like where theory and practice kind of meet, because, uh, practice without theory is activism, more or less, and, uh, uh, theory without practice is just theory, so praxis, you know, I don't know who coined the term, I might look that up sometime, uh, Marx made it famous. Uh, but, uh, you don't have to be a Marxist to have praxis. Uh, you could be anybody, uh, you know, uh, hell, it could just even be like neoliberal praxis, you know, like fucking blowing up fucking people, uh, in a third world, uh, nation with drones, for instance, you know, that would be praxis like, uh, Obama blowing up a wedding. That's praxis, you know, for the neolibs, but, uh, I'm talking about, uh, kind of like anarchist praxis, I guess, here, um, you know, like, there, there's the, there's idealized praxis, I guess, like, what I would like to see happen, or what I wish I could have been able to do at some point in my life, but, you know, I've gotten older, so might not be able to do all the things that I wish I could do, and then there's, uh, stuff that I, I, I usually stick with, beginning praxis when I talk about praxis and <clears throat> to me like just to start with beginning praxis uh you know there's uh graffiti and uh regular old vandalism uh pranks hijinks all these things uh fit pretty good in with uh, an anarchist uh praxis to start with um for the most part like if you you know, have gone to school or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, I'd like to, uh, show how I don't like school, uh, you know, there's always, like, you know, setting the dumpster on fire, that's what I used to do all the time, uh, well, I didn't do it, uh, people I know, uh, would go and set the dumpster on fire at school, um, you know, or break out their windows, or spray paint shit, uh, on the walls, or maybe be sneaky, and go into, like, the bathroom stalls, and, uh, carve some, uh, anarchist slogans into the walls, or whatever, or, you know, you use a marker, but, you know, doing it with a knife makes it permanent, they can't, you know, just paint that over, they'd have to replace the whole wall, uh, more or less, or figure out some way to patch over it or whatever, so carving into a wall, uh, a stall door or whatever is, uh, that's good praxis, <laughs> and, um, propaganda by deed is, is very much, uh, um, uh, the epitome of anarchist praxis, uh, that's what anarchists are most famous for, uh, it, you know, goes up to assassination campaigns, that's, uh, 
typically what people think of when you say propaganda by deed. And it's also the interpretation that uh, the U.S. military uses. Like, if they say propaganda by deed, they basically mean the same thing that anarchists used to mean by it. But, you know, it could also be other things. You know, you want to see mutual aid in the world, propaganda by deed for, uh, for mutual aid would be through not bombs. Uh, that would be probably the most uh, popular and easiest uh, expression of uh, mutual aid in action. Um, at least, uh, you know, something that people understand. You know, there's person to person. You don't need to have a name on a group or whatever or be a group at all. You could be an individual and uh, engage in mutual aid. Uh, it's something that people do every day, after all. But um, the first instances of uh, mutual aid uh, being historically recorded is um, people gathering up uh, resources to pay for the funeral costs of people that were killed in uh, uh, protests and riots uh, around labor disputes and stuff like that. You know, so, you know, someone would get killed in a protest or strike or whatever and Everybody would chip in a little bit and, uh, you know, cover the funeral costs of that uh, person. And from there, everything has spun uh, from there, from unions to uh, credit unions to uh, uh, (laughs) some other unions. But yeah, like the in a way, that's also the union of egoists could even uh, be said to have uh, some uh, linkage to uh, this uh, very simple, basic, uh, practice, uh, you know, insurance be another thing that kind of comes, uh, comes to mind. A lot of people don't realize that insurance started with friendlies, uh, which were, uh, you know, groups of people would chip in money, uh, just like I, I was talking about with funeral services, but they're chipping money to take care of other costs, like, you know, uh, everything from medical costs to, uh, handling uh, uh, some sort of other problem. You know, it, it just basically just sharing in resources uh, brings about uh, mutual aid uh, in, in, a, 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 in the scheme of things. Um, there's also, uh, I guess... From there, you know, we got, we already know, like, yeah, vandalism, graffiti, mutual aid, um, you know, the assassin campaigns, uh, that people go on, uh, bombings, arsons, you know, like, <clears throat> for most anarchists, um, I mean, let's compare it to, like, eco-extremists to anarchists, because <clears throat> in a way... Uh, eco-extremists that you could be an anarchist eco-extremist to a certain degree but eco-extremists aren't trained to create anarchy uh their actions are more nihilistic than an anarchist praxis in in a lot of ways you know they see what they're doing as uh, the flellings of an animal uh you know they uh see themselves as part of the wild striking out against uh a um uh, a human society, you know, that has uh, destroyed the world. Uh, others uh, that still could be even extremists could see it as the actions against the apocalypse, 
the still existing apocalypse. You know, if you're an indigenous person and you suffered underneath uh, colonial uh, uh, destruction and <clears throat> let's say 95% of your population was wiped out, uh, then you're still living in like a post-apocalyptic world in a kind of way. Uh, you know, we fear the world that uh, we've created for others, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, white colonial settler types or whatever have participated in the creation of an apocalyptic world that has destroyed, uh, uh, you know, entire populations of people and enslaved others. And uh, in the ashes of this, uh, you know, there's people that strike out. They, uh, they see their actions as simply responding to these, uh, uh, some might say injustices, but when you say injustices, then you're looking for justice. And what we're really talking about here with eco-extremism is acts of vengeance, uh, revenge, vengeance, uh, wrath, even, you know, it, it just even removed the idea that there was a wrong that needs to be made right. You know, maybe uh, it's just simply a differing perspective. They don't necessarily have to have a wrong or a right. You'd be like, you did this, so I want to do that. uh, Without necessarily a signifier of rightness, wrongness, correctness. Uh, You know, it's just opposing forces. Um, But for people that want anarchy, uh, the types of uh, attacks that an anarchist might go for might not really be focused on wiping out any people indiscriminately. Um, Most anarchists, when they do strike in a large swath, uh, typically are attacking maybe the bourgeoisie as a class. You know, um, I can't remember the exact historical figure. His name doesn't come to mind. Uh, But there's a, a figure that lit a bomb at a uh, cafeteria or a cafe I should say uh, where it was uh, popularly uh, um, um, known to have bourgeois um, patrons Uh, so it lit a bomb and blew up the uh, cafe and killed a whole bunch of uh, what they considered bourgeoisie Uh, now there would be like Uh, bombs thrown at uh, entire congresses of um, of government officials and stuff like that. Uh, So there are uh, strikes that can target indiscriminately, but there's still also a targeting that's occurring. And really most anarchists, when they do a strike like this, they're more talking uh, similar to the Russian nihilist experience. Uh, of assassinating the czar so assassination that's more focused you're you're picking a target and you're attempting to eliminate that target for propagandistic purposes or for the real purposes of uh, other reasons in the uh, Russian nihilist case of assassinating the czar it wasn't propaganda. Uh, they wanted to kill the czar because uh, of uh, 
<clears throat> the actions that these are taken. Uh, so in some ways it's vengeance, but also they saw uh, that uh, things needed to change. This is where terrorism comes from. Terrorism is also a strategy. It's not just simply a label that people throw on and be like, oh, that action was so horrible, it's just an act of terror. It's like, no, but uh, when the Russian nihilists accepted the term terrorist, uh, they're talking about a strategy uh, to make a more powerful force yield on what they're doing. Like, the Tsar was cracking down hard on the nihilists and was imprisoning, torturing, and killing uh, the nihilists for very little reason, uh, the new people of Russia. And uh, uh, the reaction was hard and destructive. And so in order to make uh, this stop, they saw that killing the Tsar would be uh, an answer to kind of answer... Uh, this problem be like, oh, oh, you're going to keep destroying us. Well, we'll destroy you right back. And by destroying you, then we want to see the uh, the boot of tyranny lifted. And uh, did that lift? Eh, to some degree, but to another degree, uh, the Negzar uh, was uh, far worse in, in his wrath. And uh, most uh, of the nihilist movement after that uh, either got imprisoned or wiped out. Uh, basically, they got nullified. Uh, and most actions against the Tsar um, had to wait another generation, which is where we see the Marxists and the communists rise up from the ashes of the destruction of the nihilists. Um they weren't the only ones, of course. Uh, one of the groups that I've talked about in the past is the uh, Socialist Revolutionary Party and how they're the inheritors of the Narodnik. And uh, they uh, went on assassination campaigns all the time. Uh, and that was <coughs> uh, part of their political program. Uh, and so in a way, it was propaganda by deed uh, for them. But another... It was how they were getting elected into uh, the Congresses, especially after 1905, uh, which was the um, where they actually were starting to hold real power uh, within uh, um, the uh, um, Russian government uh, after the 1905 revolution. I'll have to look more into how much power that actually had, but there was a, a yielding that the Tsar eventually had to give. Uh, it wasn't just to the socialist uh, revolutionaries, but also the social democrats, which are the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Uh, that's their party. Um, the What differed the two was the socialist revolutionaries were agrarian socialists, while the Marxists, were uh, in favor of a growing proletariat. And what differed them even more was the idea of progress, the idea that capitalism had to happen within Russia, an industrial revolution had to occur within Russia in order for 
their version of freedom, which is a, a worker-based freedom, was born instead of an agrarian freedom where the peasants are just simply freed from the shackles of the aristocracy. Uh, Marxists saw this as a reactionary or backwards uh, style of socialism. <clears throat> but uh, as time has progressed, uh, it's easy to see that the progress uh, didn't do so well. Um, you know, look at uh, Stalinism, for instance. Uh, the drive to uh, ca- uh, make capitalism a reality overtook uh, the goals of uh, most socialists and communists, and uh, they basically became state capitalists. And uh, their tyranny, uh, in many ways, was far worse than even the czars. Uh, you know, we're talking millions and millions of people slaughtered, but. Uh, Still, at the same time, it is, uh, you know, what happened. You can't reverse that. So, <clears throat> to rewind a little bit, back to uh, the idea of anarchist praxis. Uh, anarchists uh, uh, typically will target uh, people for political reasons, uh, for propaganda reasons, uh, indiscriminately, no, not, usually not indiscriminately. Indiscriminate violence can happen uh, from anarchists, and it can be anarchistic to do certain actions that are considered indiscriminate, but most of the time it's discriminate. Most of the time uh, it's targeted, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and when it is done in those particular ways, it uh, is meant to also unleash uh, the um, the joy of rebellion, uh, which is why propaganda by deed also failed, uh, because most of the time an assassination doesn't cause people to jump for joy, like, yay, yay, like, you know, like Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch is dead, singing and dancing, you know, in a way, like Dorothy dropping a house on a witch, uh, would be an example of uh, anarchist praxis, uh, even though that was done indiscriminately. <laughs> it was uh, people being freed from tyranny and everybody was happy, but now uh, we have the spectacle, which uh, will moralize an action like that and hide the fact that uh, people are uh, filled with joy over the death of a tyrant. And instead, uh, they will um, moralize and uh, overexamine the death and <clears throat> make uh, the anarchists into a demon for uh, doing the action. And anybody that thinks that murder is uh, good is a bad person, you know, while ignoring at the same time the, the state violence and the murders that occur from its own uh, direction. <clears throat> this is uh, one of the main problems with um, the idea of the spectacle is that the uh, conversation on rebellion uh, gets channeled with, into the spectacle and people argue within the images uh, that imitate life more than they argue uh, within life itself. You know, like, uh, if something happens now, people are going to get on Facebook, get on Twitter, some other social media, 
and they'll talk about it to the extreme and people that talk positively about uh, death and murder in any sort of popular way uh, to where it attracts attention will get demonized and shut down uh, by people that be like, oh, murder is always wrong and stuff like that. But, you know, they'll, 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 they'll even say stuff like, you know, nobody should be killing anybody, even the cops. Yet they're not going to do anything to stop the cop violence. Uh, they're not going to, uh, uh, you know, champion uh, the uh, uh, dismantling of the state because the state is a continual force of violence. But, you know, they will applaud uh, even silently the repression of anarchists and other actors that uh, take actions beyond uh, what they deem to be morally um, correct. So, <clears throat> in between all of that, uh, there is other ways of uh, practicing uh, your praxis. Uh, one of the ways that uh, I've considered is the idea, like Aragorn talked a lot about patience. Uh, Seaweed talked about uh, martial traditions. Uh, the idea that we could train and learn how to defend ourselves. And this is something that you could do outside of an underground. I'm a big advocate of underground activities and stuff like that. Uh, but at the same time, um, I don't feel that I could do anything like that anymore. So what about above ground? Well, above ground, you can train, you can learn things, uh, you know, learn how to use weapons, how to uh, fight with martial arts, uh, how to work together in groups. Um, you could do things besides always responding to every single injustice and going into the streets and rioting and getting repressed and just continuing this cycle, you can instead uh, test out other waters and, you know, bide your time, uh, create a conversation outside of the spectacle uh, to where you can become yourselves. Uh, learn to, you know, basically... Uh, good examples would be like militias and stuff. An anarchist militia is not a bad idea. Um, you know, you're learning the things that you might need in a larger conflict. And while I, I must admit, an anarchist militia against the state uh, military, uh, the anarchist militia uh, would probably lose. Uh, you know, which is where guerrilla warfare would come into play and you know, ultimately repression would just still crack down probably tenfold on the anarchists. You know, we might get one to their 50, you know, anarchists killed. Uh, look at like Red Army Faction, for instance. There was a lot of success uh, if you're looking at uh, the targeting of individuals and eliminating them and uh, kidnapping and stuff like that. <clears throat> and they did have some propaganda success. But uh, ultimately, they were crushed uh, because, uh, much like any other underground-style group, uh, the government eventually finds and targets and eliminates the threat. Uh, 
the insurrectionary anarchist position is kind of a response to this style of of, uh, of urban guerrilla warfare. Um, it's kind of recognizing that we aren't able to really militarily fight uh, the state, uh, but we can still fight in the streets. Uh, so, you know, this is where, you know, anarchists with Molotov cocktails and, uh, you know, street warfare against the police happen, but it's still within a civil uh, um, paradigm uh, where anarchists are going to strike out and uh, <clears throat> fight. They're going to, uh, you know, even die, possibly kill. But ultimately, that's not where the violence is going. You know, people are going to fight and often walk away from it, uh, gaining some ground, losing some ground. Ultimately, it's a, a propaganda by deed in this respect to uh, garner more and more support, gain popularity so that uh, the protests in the streets become larger to where they can actually cause insurrections uh, and, uh, thus insurrectionary anarchy. And, uh, that isn't too bad either. But, uh, back to my point about training and stuff, uh, it, it, there's no reason why a group that's training to do this, that, and the other has to suddenly become the Red Army faction. Uh, more often, it's good to just have those skills known to know how to do things and how to defend when necessary, more so than necessarily attack. Uh, you know, even calling for attacks, that's, you know, got <clears throat> a bunch of legal issues uh, attached to it. So I'm not advocating anybody go out and start doing anything crazy. But uh, yeah, train. People should train, should learn how to do armed and unarmed combat, how to um, evade, how to hide, uh, uh, learn uh, different strategies on how to approach things. But by strategy, I'm talking more on the uh, immediate level uh, that, you know, getting from point A to point B uh, and not necessarily saying uh, that if I start shooting a bunch of people that some are going to have an insurrection. How about instead want to learn how to defend ourselves and have arms so that if like, let's say fascists come by and try to attack the local info shop, you can have people there to protect the info shop from being attacked and destroyed and to keep people safe. You know, that right there would be a good use of propaganda by deed. Uh, not good as in good and evil, but, uh, good as in a good strategy, a strategy that could affect, be effective in both protecting the info shop and gaining in popularity. Uh, so more people would be willing to stand up, uh, alongside anarchists, which is really what anarchists want. Anarchists want more than an ideology. It's not about anarchism. Anarchism is an ideology. You get adherence to it and stuff like that. Uh, like while anarchy is a state of being, uh, you know, it's a way of existing. Uh, it's what it's a way of non-governing. 
you know, what you have with your friends, what you have with your uh, other associates. I would say family, but some people live in patriarchal families, so I can't necessarily say that. <clears throat> but uh, lack of structure um, is really a way of uh, interacting uh, in small groups, clusters, stuff like that. that that's good. That's a, a good use of, uh, of time. It's a good way of relating. It's healthy. Um, and it uh, helps bring anarchy, something that I would like to see happen. Uh, people bring anarchy in their own lives. It doesn't have to be a future event to have anarchy. Uh, but if there is an archy, <laughs> a state... Uh, then uh, the conflict uh, very well could happen on many different trains. Uh, some people could see it as a debate, you know, like, but for the most part, the debate is often done by the state uh, imposing itself. Sometimes you don't have a choice in the matter. Sometimes you are... Uh, forced into a situation that you don't necessarily want to be and this is where training again uh, comes into play as a positive thing something that can help uh, anarchists out uh, by simply knowing a little bit more uh, knowing how to respond to things uh, the you can minimize the effectiveness of uh, the state on any repressive measures all right, we're hitting that half hour mark. Uh, so I figure uh, I'll go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at High Priest or at HP Wombat. You can reach me through Facebook at the Society Dispatch. Um, later on, I'm going to today, I'm going to probably do a couple more shows with uh, Rambler, uh, maybe Moloch as well. And uh, we're going to have a good time, so uh, stay tuned. Wall that out.